Okay, I think we're good to go. Um, so we'll start off by, I guess, a quick introduction to what this is and who we are. So what mm -hmm. this is, is just a general discussion on financial markets, specifically macro related markets. So um, nothing in depth into like specific equities generally, but you know, macroeconomics related. Um, me, I worked on a macro desk, the same one as Tyler. And now I work in fixed income and currency strategy. Tyler, you want to explain? What yeah, you do? so I worked at the same macro, buy side macro desk as Arjun, um, and now I also work at the exact same desk, um, but focusing more on quant more quantitative strategies. Been working less on traditional macro asset classes such as rates and FX over the last couple of years but and focusing more on, on equities um, and uh, mostly equity derivatives and custom basket strategies. Right. Cool. Um, so I guess today we'll just talk about a bunch of random stuff, but the overarching theme we wanted to get to is inflation. Is it transitory, not transitory? I think the debate hardly needs our, our opinion on this, but it's an interesting topic, right? Uh, but yeah. we'll start off with the more random stuff first. Mm -hmm. So... Before we actually started recording this, we were talking about the spat between Nassim Taleb and uh, Cliff Asnes from AQR. So I've, I'm not sure exactly about the history of the, of the beef over here. So Tyler, you want to start by explaining that? Yeah, sure. Um, it actually came from a paper that AQR put out a while ago called um, Tail Recession, Contrasting Put and Trend Strategies from last year, where they talked about how they feel that essentially buying puts um, are not an effective hedge because it's too much negative carry to maintain, right? It costs too much to maintain the structure. So they feel that there are better ways to hedge, such as doing a trend following strategy. Uh, so Arjun, are, are you familiar with what a trend following strategy is and how it's used to hedge? Well, not exactly, but I could say trend following in general, to my understanding, is broadly following the directionality exhibited by the market. So if returns appear to be positive um, over a period of time, then you are long the market to follow that, the positive trend and vice versa. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, I, I'll go more in depth. About it. So trend following... Go, so there's two types of momentum, really. One is... So what people most... A lot of quants called momentum is actually cross-sectional. So cross-sectional means that it's looking at, it's comparing relative basis, right? Um, so if, let's say you're putting an equity momentum strategy, it will be you buying the names that have the best performance over the past. Generally is used as a T12 minus T1 basis, but for simplification, we'll call it the past, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and selling the names that are uh, performed poorly in the past. So that's cross-sectional because you're always long and short, right? It, it's supposed to be market neutral. Um, what time series momentum is, is you're buying an asset class if it has positive performance or negative, or, or, and you're selling it if it's negative performance. It's usually done in futures. Um, and for example, if you're, if you're doing equities, you, you, a lot of times you just use S&P futures and e-minis, 
um, and you will long it if it has positive performance in the past, and you short it if negative performance in the past, and that's usually done um, on some form of a look back period, which is called usually called time series momentum. Um, right. Anyone interested in learning more? There's a paper called Time Series Moment- Momentum by some of the AQR guys. Um, quite good. Uh, and another way that most people do it is called moving average crossovers. So what it does is it just really is looking at moving averages and looking at when the faster moving average crosses over the slower moving average and the faster and that determines the directionality of trend. So for example, if like a hundred day moving average crosses a 200 day moving average, right? That would be a positive trend because the reason behind it, because if you look at moving averages, they're actually a pretty good mathematical expression of um of signal product for signal processing, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it smooths out the process, uh, it smooths out the noise from the signal. Um, right. and so that's how you get it. and there's there are other ways that the, uh, the third is that more I, I guess uh more I'll, 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 like it's not complex, so I, I hate to use the word, but I, for lack of a better way, that's a complex is just using HP filters, common filters, right? Right. Um, and such. I mean, but all of them are essentially based off the same concept because you can generalize any sort of moving average, like back period, and the filters into something into a time series momentum. Um, but, uh, Equation the shifting uh, the weights of the look back peers, right? Right, and the period, period um, so really, it well, essentially what it is is just capture the trend, the directionality trend of the market, and a lot of times it's done on for, for sake of calculation and for portfolio management, it's done on a equal volatility rate, like a vol adjusted basis, right? So, equal volatility, yeah. um, so. Trend has an interesting performance profile in that it exhibits over the long run positive convexity. So that um, the, 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 there's a lot of work done from, from the mathematical perspective because you can model it. If you, you can model it like the markets like geometric boundary motion and apply a time, uh, a time series moment of tragedy on it to take a, to see, to, to basically model the returns you get a return similar to a straddle, rolling a straddle, right? Right. Um, so it's kind of like a U slash V shape mm-hmm. um, in terms of the returns. And, and and this is versus, so when you say U slash V shape, you mean that the X axis shows the returns of the market and yeah. the Y axis is performance. Yeah, and what you mean by convexity is as you go more and more extreme on the market return scale, mm-hmm. uh, so too does your actual strategy performance. Yep. In terms so, so, of so, 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 it's a concave uh, shape, right? A, a convex shape, which is right. Uh, yeah, which has a local mean rather than a convex co- concave shape. Okay, a convex shape has a local mean, which is what a trend following right? does, and a concave shape has a local max, which is the opposite. Right. So this is convex, which means that it's, it's essentially drawing a problem. Right. Um, and, and another way to think about it is that if you look at, you simulate the returns of the terraforming strategy, it's, it's almost identical to the combined delta 
of a long and a short. I mean, a long put and a long call. Right. Right. If you combine the two deltas, you get the profile similar, like, similar to a turn point. So essentially, with that, with that, that convex shape, um, in, when the market is performing poorly, uh, the trend point strategy has positive returns, right? But when the market is performing very well as well, like it'll catch up. So it's, it's just a way it oscillates in the middle. Right. That's when it performs poorly uh, because hence, the signal. Uh, I was uh, just going to say, and hence it's a hedge, right? Because in the extreme cases, it has um, high returns. Exactly. So, 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 so we're not hedging. Like, let's say it's a sudden flash crash, right? You're not going to be able to capture that with careful because it's not quick enough. Right. But you, but they're very, but in real bear markets, it's not a flash crash, right? Like it's persistent for a couple mm -hmm. of days. So the signal will be able to will flag in time for you to capture the returns, right? Like, uh, and for, and the beauty of this versus the push strategy is that if the markets go back up for a put, you. You know, like you had you had to monetize the put before the market yeah. go back up, right? Yeah. But for this, the market back up, right? Um, they, if the market trends back up, for example, during during COVID, right? Like, what what you saw was the market have a drawdown and then immediately rebound for, for, for a couple of days and then rebound for yeah. a year, right? If yeah. you have ran a put strategy, if you monetize in time, yeah, you would lose the PNL, right? But in the trend following strategy, you capture the upside for sure. So. So basically, with, with a, that's that's why over a long period of time, you get positive expected return, right? Because you do capture the outside moves in the market um, without really paying much for carry. And so it's this row paper contrasting the uh, push strategy, uh, push buying various add-the-money puts and buying these uh, and putting on trend falling strategy. Right. So what they found was that in terms of, I'll guess the. Uh, in terms of the effect, the effectiveness of just the hedge element, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, puts capture more accurately the downside, right? Like right. the the hit rate of puts would be higher on the downside. Mm -hmm. That's obvious, um, because you're literally directing, directly gaining downside exposure, right? Mm -hmm. Push strategy, and for the fast drawdown, push strategy is effective. But where a trend falling is, but the thing is, trend falling is not that far behind in terms of the hit rate, right, on the downside. And plus, trend falling is really bad. It's really effective during very dangerous part for asset managers, which is grind downs, right? Because if it's just a bounce back, right, and and you have the ability to stand the volatility briefly, mm -hmm. you're going to be fine. Yeah. But if it's a grind down where where, where assets go down for a year. Right, trending down towards the year, that's extremely hard to manage around, right? Mm -hmm. With um, as a as long as asset managers, um, so but trend following does extremely well during that period. I right? think because uh, I think it'd be interesting to talk about whether that is the case going forward because it feels like we're now in a regime where we haven't seen a grind down for a long time. But I, I just wanted mm -hmm. to throw that out there. Yeah. maybe we should talk about that. But yeah, okay. Um, and another part is. If you look at push strategies, right? Buying various, okay, so obviously you're going to capture more of the downside if you buy it closer to the money put. Right. Right? Um, but if you, if you try to keep doing closer to the money put, that's a lot of negative carry, right? You have to, you, you have to work longer performance compared to if you buy far on the money put. 
Um, yeah. Do, do we want to dive a bit deeper into, you know, how if you're close to the money, you're buying gamma, but you pay for that in terms of theta, or should we just leave it? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. If you, want, you, you, you should talk about it. Sure. Okay. So um, the main issue with buying closer to the money puts or options in general is you have more exposure to actual moves in the underlying instrument. So if you have S&P options and you're buying at the money, which means your strike price of the option is where the underlying asset is right now, right? Or where the futures are technically. Um, if you're buying it there, you're actually capturing more of that move, right? Um, so in that case, you have a higher exposure to what we call gamma in options. And that's that leverage component of options. So as the option moves more in your favor, you have more exposure to that move. Um, and so that's what you're really paying for in terms of hedges. You want the gamma because you want to be exposed to the inverse of, of the move. So if you're buying a put, right, you want to be exposed to um, the inverse of the downside. Like you want to get a positive PL when it goes down. So you want leverage to that downside. Um, and because you have that leverage, you pay for it in negative carry or theta. And what that is, is that every single day you hold the option and you, it doesn't move in your favor, it decays in terms of value towards zero. Um, and so like Tyler was saying, if you're, if you're struck closer to the money, um, that captures more of that downside performance, you have more gamma, but you pay for that in terms of theta. And because obviously uh, market drawdowns don't happen that often, you know, markets exhibit mostly positive returns, um, you're paying a lot of theta over time. And so it's a very expensive strategy to hedge yourself. Exactly. So if you keep a constant close to the money, uh, you capture very large bumps, right? So if when you draw down, but the negative carry, carry um, is by far the worst. Right. But if you do far, pretty far on the money, uh, smaller bumps, right? But it's, it's less negative to carry, but still negative. Mm -hmm. so, so, so overall, if you do a, a put, put, uh, put protection strategy, you can't expect to lose money over the long run, right? So, mm -hmm. and, th and that's just a simple point. So, and, and you, might, you might want to ask, oh, well, what about active managers? Surely the smart guys on Wall Street, right, have, have like some voodoo magic to- Smart guys, Wall Street? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 obviously sarcastic. <laughs> but, but the smart guys that have, must have some voodoo magic, right, with their PhD revenue to figure it out. But actually, if you look at the CBOE Eureka Hedge Tail Risk Index, so it's a peer index of just tail risk managers, people who specifically make a living, right? Hedging tail risk. Mm -hmm. It is it, since 2008, okay? It's earned a, a negative 2% per annum, right? Oh and, but negative 8% during the bullish 2010s. Yeah. And, but, and, and, and since the index is Creating in 2015, there's some survivorship bias, right? Right. Between 2008 and 2014. So even people who make a living, right, uh, managing data, right, have a, have, a, have a bad time beating the math. Right. Right? And so what, what, what is the more effective uh, hedging strategy? Well, AQR argues that, well, Depends on what you want, but then, but I think they leaned, they didn't explicitly say it, I think, uh, which is the more effective strategy, but they leaned towards trend following because trend following allows the investor to have it on for a longer time, right? Right. Because if, let's say you have a strategy that's been losing money for a decade, right? Mm -hmm. 
uh, what if you get what if you get forced to take it off, right? But by your bosses, right? Right. But what if you what, what if you take it off by yourself because you can't sustain you can't the negative carrier, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a state, it's a staying power of a transforming journey that's incredibly attractive. Mm-hmm. You only, you really only have periods of uh, of uh, high of lack of trend from like 2014 to 2018 that uh, that it does poorly, but generally over time it, it does have a positive expected return um, across asset classes. So you, and this is something you, can, you don't you don't have to only do in equities, right? Like you, you can do the trend following in any asset class essentially, right? And so you you kind of want. Uh, in my opinion, we, and this is what EQR has said as well. You kind of want to mix between the two, right? Like, like you don't want to put you don't, because you you do want to capture some of the immediate shocks if you're indexed to volatility, right? But but uh, and you, but you want you, you don't want to pay together, so you want to mix in a trembling in there to cheapen it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now there are strategies, right? That you, that. That specifically target something called kurtosis, right? Which is the fatness of the tails. Mm-hmm. So BFA, I just have a strategy um, for institutional investors. We're going to do that by essentially uh, you long a far out of the money. Uh, okay, well, not far. I'll call it low delta. Technically, well, it is all far out. Like, right. Uh, you, you long a low delta uh, straddle and then you short on a high delta straddle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you so cheapen up, and so you really capture the far tails, and then you delta hedge it so that you don't get the sharp elbows. Right. Um, and, and you just make you make money from the Vega and the Gamma, and it does very well. It, it's, it's actually the exact opposite performance profile as the turn falling strategy. So by making strategies like that, right, like I, I think that's the effective way to go. But anyways, so EQR wrote this paper that's very critical of buying uh, protection, right? Mm-hmm. And Nassim Talib as the the protection guru, right, so to speak, <laughs> the guy that's all about uh, the black swans, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, took offense to that right. and accused um, Cliff of not knowing what, not, uh, not understanding options. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and there were it, 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 there were some this. Uh, some not there was some good discussion and good arguments. Um, one of the synthesis is was mostly about how how he feels option of uh, protection on the price because but by, by market participants because um the tails are fatter than what the market prices are that's was it just uh, kind of swearing at him from what I yeah, remember yeah but but like um, by mixing in the stuff that he does the work he does right right. Is is swearing at they're swearing at each other with Nassim Tlaib just missing the stuff that he does. Right. Okay. So 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 if you look at uh, so Nassim so Tlaib has this uh, has a thing what we call the, the, the like kind of called a Tlaib distribution, which is basically the financial tales, blah 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 blah. And he wrote like four books. The girl is like exactly books of how people underpriced terrorists. Right. Right. Um. And so yeah, that that's kind of the story. And, but 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 it is a very neat discussion in that it brings up trend following because going to the next topic on another topic which is the inflation right trend following is actually a really strong way to defend against inflation if you're doing commodity interesting because because the reason being is that trend inflation shocks are not an unknown unknown events right like a black swan events where it right. causes a sharp move and 
like a flash crash, right? Right. And bounces back. Like it, it's pretty inflation is pretty sticky. And um, I would I would disagree. I think over the last hundred years, there's been periods where it's sticky, but I think, for example, post World War II, you it was in spikes, right? You didn't have persistently, I don't know, five percent inflation. Like it, it, it spiked in specific years. Yeah, no, but but, but you count it in years, right? You're not counting it in dates. That, um, that, so, that's a point. Sorry, what right? because, because because these transform strategies, um, they're usually. I think I believe there's already well most of the trend following strategies use the signals around like six months, right? Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so so, so so like it, you don't count inflation in days. It's not like COVID where it hasn't like the dry has a specific day. Right, 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 like, right. right, right. It, it, it trends for a year or so. And so and, and that's more than enough time for a trend following strategy to catch a signal. Plus inflation is as tend to have positive correlation to volatility, right? So, well, not specifically like buying selling volatility, but inflationary periods of higher volatility than repressed periods. Uh-huh. And, with, and with that, what you have is you have strong directional moves, right? So you have a strong directional move that's able to be, that's long enough to be captured by trend follow. So that you, so you, and so if you have, and so inflation does so trend following does well in inflation surprises, right? So both downside surprise and upside surprise. Right. So so what what trend following then do is is stable low inflation, right? It's, it's not it's not deflation, but lowflation, right? Right. Which is right, right. what we've seen for the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is not necessarily the best with lowflation, but if if it has some positive surprise and negative surprise, it does very well because. It, it causes a trend and causes a directional move. Right. Cool. Um, okay, so let's uh, transition to that then. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the last, let's characterize what we've seen for the last year. So mm-hmm. COVID, clearly the entire 2020, we saw very low inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of 2020, we saw vaccines in like December, January, stuff really started you know, rolling out. And then for the next few months, the US really opened up. And because of shutting things down, right? So you've laid off a bunch of workers. Um, you have shut down a bunch of plants, right? You stopped buying from your suppliers overseas and they still have COVID going on as well, right? So people are having difficulty manufacturing over there. Um, when you start things back up, your demand goes back to pre-pandemic levels, right? Like people clearly, we're in a period of excess demand right now, especially because people have such high savings. Um, and for those who don't know, consumer savings went up during the pandemic because there's huge transfers from the government, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen that excess demand, but obviously it's difficult to increase your supply back as quickly because you can't just hire a bunch of hire back a bunch of people. Like these people either retired from the workforce or they got a bunch of money and they're sitting at home um, and they can like go, I don't know further educate themselves or take a few months off or look for a better opportunity because they now have the means to do so. Um, so it's, it's difficult to restart capacity after shutting it down like that. So because of that, supply has been incredibly low while demand has been incredibly high. And that confluence of supply and demand imbalance has led to very high inflation, the likes of which we haven't seen for you know 30 years or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, and if, uh, it's, 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 we should note that inflation, uh, there's, there's different different measures of inflation, right? 
Right. Um, there's PCE, which I believe is personal consumption expenditure. Yeah, it's personal consumption expenditures, which is very close to CPI, right? Yes. Which is um, consumer price. Index. Yeah, consumer price index, which is a classic measure of inflation. The PCE is more looked at by the Fed. CPI yes. is what people will talk about in terms yes. of inflation. Exactly. But then there's another ignore is called PPI, producer price index, right? Which is what the producers are paying. And right. if, you, if you look at and the neat thing about this inflation spike is that if you look at the producer price index versus the consumer price index, you, you see a gap that I think I think the last I checked is the second largest gap between PPI and CPI in history mm-hmm. and the largest gap in 30 years, right? Right. Um, so which shows that this is, uh, that um, in terms of pricing, producer price, uh, the inflation has been hitting companies much harder than it's been hitting con- consumers, even though it's hitting consumers very hard, right? Right. So, so that's, I think that's a neat thing about this, uh, uh, inflation spike where uh, well, I'm sorry it is the largest gap between PPI and CPI in history okay. not a second it is the largest second I, I mean the second one is the second largest is in in the 70s in the early 70s and so now the gap between that is 6% um, right now okay. uh, because PPI is at 12.5% right. so and you can see that it would be reflected right in commodities pricing as well where commodities is going through, uh, going through a bull market that has not been seen in the last decade, right? It's been very strong. I'd point yeah. out though that trend has somewhat abated over the last month. Agree. Uh, we've seen some really weak price action in oil. Um, copper has been pretty terrible. Gold has been doing well, but that's just because of inflation itself. Um, but I, I think. Across the board, it's been not as strong as it has been. I mean, clearly the last few months have been incredible. Yes, it's 75% increase in the Bloomberg Commodities Index. Right. So which is a basket of commodities. And so, um, so yeah, so this is, I guess, what we're here to talk about is whether or not this is transitory or not. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, let's so, define transitory. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, or the way I understand transitory is the year-over-year change. Um, your, how would you say this? Your speed is what you're measuring. So transitory is the really the acceleration. Does it continue to accelerate, right? Does your rate of change stay high? Um, or does it go back down to lower levels? And I think mm-hmm. by naturally accelerating so quickly, um, I meant to say by accelerating so quick, quickly, naturally you have to go back to a lower level of speed. And that doesn't mean that you're going to have deflation or prices will go back down. It just means that they won't increase as fast going forward. So and slow think, down in inflation. Yes. yes. So a deceleration. Um, so yeah, so that, that that's kind of what we're arguing for transfer persistent. And where persistent is whether or not you see 3% plus inflation for the next five to 10 years, right. essentially. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's kind of what we're defining as uh, persistent inflation. Mm-hmm. So do, do you want to go first in talk, talking about uh, why you think it's transitory? Sure. Okay. So the first thing is, um, well, let's, let's go through the CPI PPI gap. I think that's a very interesting mm-hmm. place to start. Um, mm-hmm. I think one that shows you that businesses have the capacity um, to absorb some of these price shocks and they are supply price shocks, right? They're, they're not demand shocks. 
Um, mm -hmm. So naturally, they should be absorbed by businesses first. And I don't have the data in front of me, but I think we would all see that corporate profits as a percentage of output or the capital share of output has been very high over the last decade relative to the labor share of output, right? So in other words, they have more of the balance sheet to withstand some of this. And I think that's why you're able to see some of this gap and not have it go into a wage price spiral or something like that, right? Because if you'd have to pass through higher prices to consumers, then consumers would demand, especially in a tight labor market, right? They demand higher wages and then that would go back into higher prices. But the fact that we're not seeing that pass through means that they're absorbing some of that shock, which is stopping a spiral from happening. So that's the first thing, okay? Um, the second thing is that a lot of these factors that are shutting down production right now, I don't think that they're permanent. And even if they slow things down for a while, we've clearly found a way of getting around it. Like when the pandemic first hit, there was clearly a huge amount of investment into making people work remotely and, and find a way to keep production that we could keep going online. So likewise over here, if, if it's difficult to produce or manufacture in one way, I think just based on, just based on how we've produced for the last 10 years, right? We've clearly been in an excess supply environment. We found ways to overproduce. So I think we'll find ways to get around this. Um, I don't think there's anything, there's no capital destruction is my point, right? Um, we've, un we've underused capital for the last decade. Now it's difficult to bring it back online in a quick period of time, but it's not like we've destroyed the capital. We still have the means to produce. We just have to find a smarter way to go about it during, during COVID. Um, so I think, I think those two things together imply that there's nothing structurally causing higher inflation. There is no um, excess demand over capacity for the next decade or so that would imply we'd have inflation like the 70s. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. So I guess I'll talk about, I'll start with uh, why I think it's persistent. And I'll, I'll start from the um, deep, PPI CPI gap perspective is Arjun is entirely right. Like the, the reason you see the gap at all time highs is companies have been absorbing costs. Um, so there's this professor called Alberto Cavallo from 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 Harvard Business School that studies inflation heavily, uh, and is the founder of something called Price Stats, which is basically a measure of inflation. Uh, that looks at prices online. This is not just Amazon, but like prices also companies post right mm -hmm. online. So uh, it's they, he, he wrote a paper um, for the terrorists that he that is also relevant now. So though you you if you recall uh, a couple of years ago uh, when during the start of the U.S. China trade war, uh, there's discussion around who will absorb the cost of terrorists, whether it be U.S. corporates or consumer, Chinese corporates or U.S. consumers. It ends up being U.S. corporates absorbing the cost because the reason is, A, there's no alternative supply chain, right, uh -huh. to China. Like, we can talk about moving to India, moving to Vietnam, all you want, but the fact of the matter is the supply chain is in China right now. Mm -hmm. um, second, the reason that's not being absorbed by consumers is because there's this comp 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 competition aspect to, to prices faster, right? And, and that co companies, if they, it's, it's about game theory, right? If, if one company uh, raises their price and, and other companies don't, they lose market share, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's a trade-off between market share and margins. Yeah. Um, and 
company and companies because they felt that the U.S. tried to trade more tariffs or more transitory, they opted to absorb the costs temporarily in order to maintain their market share. Right. And so, so his conclusion, um, when applied to during during, uh, so he also had. A presentation on current inflation, where he talked about referred to this paper, and his conclusion is is similar now, where whether or not it's being passed through depending on whether corporates would believe it's transitory or permanent. Interesting. Uh, uh, persistent inflation. If, if corporates expect inflation to be transitory, then they will often absorb the cost of market share. And so, the, so about the PICPI gap, it really is uh, whether or not this, I, I guess. Potential energy, right? But this potential inflation that's in the gap will be released to consumers. Now, um, I think it will because of two reasons. One is because of labor, right? So, one of the main drivers of low inflation over the past decades plus is stagnant wages, right? Yeah. But you're seeing that change with labor shortage. Labor movements in the U.S. where people are demanding higher wages, and the anti-work movement, right, where people's like, "No, screw you! I'm going, I'm going to quit and look for a new job." Right. Um. So that is raising labor costs, uh, and that and labor costs are something that's persistent because you, have you pretty much only you, you pretty much only have raises and and, and, and no wage cuts, right? Rarely right, right, right. ever. It's, it's harder to have a wage cut than it's a. Yes. Um. The So it's more. Uh, and uh, so yeah, it puts on more, more permanent pressures on companies. Yeah. And, and the second part is, it's about expectation around whether. And because to me, what is really driving inflation? The real driver of inflation is inflation expectations, right? It's if people if if people believe this high inflation, there will be high inflation because behaviors are changed, right? Companies raise prices. Cons- Workers would demand higher wages, right, and and move consumption forward, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Behaviors of, and and what if you look at mentions of inflation in the media, right, it's been on a long, it's been exponentially, right, uh, increasing, and not just that. If you look at the earnings cost by corporates, the measures of, inf- the dimensions of inflation, shortages, right, mm-hmm. those have also been spiking, right? Um, so you really see a lot of discussion around uh, inflation, which is something that we've not seen before, right? Over the last decade or so, and I think well, once, so I, I think really the central banks are trying to play a game where like they're trying to talk transfer inflation into existence, right? By mm-hmm. playing a game of chicken, right? By by trying to convince these corporates to not raise prices right. until. Uh, they get a handle on it. And so, so it's right or not this uh, PPI will be uh, transferred to CPI. And, and the second reason is uh, taking a look at uh, the measures, right, of uh, the, the inflation statistic more closely. So, but, so first, you have to take a look at um, the recent trends, right? So are, are, you, are you seeing a consistent return to average in monthly orientation readings? Yeah, not right. Like monthly inflation reason, re- readings have been increasing, right? Right. And the latest read has was was upside surprise, and right. so no, like it is not. 
return to uh, average for average monthly inflation. The second is whether or not um, it's returned to, to monthly average for key goods pricing indicators, such as household goods and electronics. And the answer is no, because both rose sharply. And, and that goes into the household part because inflation is also despite also being felt by consumers heavily, right? In, in their uh, daily costs in terms of housing and food. And I'll get into the housing part later. Mm-hmm. And look at supply pressures, right? Supply pressure is a huge part of it. So you're seeing, uh, you're seeing deliver, delivery times deteriorating again, right? Right. Despite the fact that uh, shipping costs have come down a bit. So housing, housing, that, that's a big one. So why has, why has CPI been so low? One of the reasons is the CPI's measure housing. So CPI uses something called owner's equivalent rent, right? And that 20% been, of shelving. Yeah. And that is far below what the market has, what market pricing for, uh, for, for uh, housing, right? right. If you, mm-hmm. uh, so, but recently I've shown that that is usually lags market prices for houses. Right. Right. For, for housing, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you look at market pricing, I've seen going on Zillow or, or whatever, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, looking, uh, looking at rental websites, uh, real estate prices, etc. I said all of those have far outpaced owners to come rent. Yeah. Um. So and CPI in terms of housing is lagging that. So you do have a wave of coming up of owners to come rent increases. And, and as, as we discussed, right, you get far more media intensity and, and discussion around inflation mm-hmm. so, uh, than before. And, and another is what, what, uh, wages, right? Uh, wage, are, are wages slowing down? They are not. Right? Right. Wages are increasing. Mentioned corporate shortages are increasing. So, so more longer term, longer moving measures of inflation uh, are increasing. Um, really, the only part that isn't is investor expectations for inflation. Because if you, if you look at tips demand, right, it's not really going up. Right? It's, it's flatline. But I argue that's more due to the effects of QE making the central bank a non-economic player. But, right. but yeah, so... Uh, from, the, from, the, from that aspect of longer metrics of inflation, uh, it, it seems to be more permanent. And of course, there are, of course, we can also later talk about supply chain pressures and what, and what has happened to normalize. But it's wondering what you think, uh, Arjun. So, I, I just said. Okay. so there's three main things. One, there's a labor cost. Two, there's expectations. Three, there's housing. Mm-hmm. I think those are the three main things I want to tackle, right? Mm-hmm. First thing is labor costs where I agree and I certainly think that higher labor costs over the next decade could raise inflation above target. So the last post 2008 we saw one and a half percent inflation across like all mm-hmm. the years, right? Um, mm-hmm. I totally think rising labor costs could maybe make it 2 to 3%. Um, mm-hmm. but I think one we need that because like you said that has been the cause of low inflation and relatively low growth and um, I feel like out- there has been a persistent output gap post 2008 right? Like mm-hmm. that, that output gap never really properly closed. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the latter years of uh, the decade. But- and if I, if, I, if I just can add on to that, um, to what I can say is uh, uh, entirely correct. And if, and look at the effect of QE, like what, what is QE caused, right? It, like because most people falsely measure the strength of the economy for the, the S&P, right? Like right. that S&P is not a measure of the economy by any means. 
Yeah. So what QE has done is, is raise asset prices, but the economy has gone nowhere in, in yeah. the last decade, essentially. The real, I, I the argue, real economy. Yeah, yeah I, I would argue that there's, there's diminishing marginal returns, but there's still marginal returns mm-hmm. from the wealth effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly not, not really helping. Uh, the issue has been, I, I don't know, this is probably a, a political policy issue, but there has been many, many reasons why um, there has just been stagnant wages, um, low household vitality. I, I get particularly in the US where they got wiped out. Ba- household balance sheets just got wiped out post 2008. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's just been stagnant growth. And I think higher labor costs is actually important to have better growth. It's important mm-hmm. to have better use of capital, which has been underutilized for the last decade. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you start to see a spiral where labor costs are going out of control, then you probably need to do something about that. But I think at least for the last decade, perhaps COVID has changed this, but at least for the last decade, there's clearly been so much slack in labor markets. I mean, like three point whatever percent inflation um, in, in 2018, 2019, sorry, three, three point uh, whatever percent unemployment with almost no inflation in 2018 and 19 clearly shows that there was a ton of slack, right? Perhaps COVID has changed that because the marginal disutility of labor is now way higher. But it, it's tough to say, and you don't want to arrest that increase in, in wages before it could actually have any positive effects, because that's a good thing, right? Rising wages is actually a good thing. Um, the second thing I'd say is expectations. I think that is an overstated point post-2008. Um, if you look at the data, like a long-range time series, then yes, inflation expectations measured by, for example, the U of Michigan uh, survey, yes, it has... Uh, impact on actual realized inflation. But post-2008, there is no statistical relationship if you use Granger causality. And I know that's not exactly causality, but I would I would say that's from anecdotes and from just logic, I would say that inflation expectations post-2008 haven't really flowed through to actual inflation because mm-hmm. it's not a demand issue. And right now it's not really a demand issue either, right? If I, if I may just jump into that, uh, you're absolutely correct in that inflation expectations don't flow to inflation. And in that if you, if you look at, if you just do a simple analysis where you look at the inflation expectation and then, and then, leg, uh, and then leg it to actual inflation, so, so that matches the period of time where inflation is supposed to happen, right. uh, it's, it's, it's a negative correlation between the two because corporates haven't been acting on inflation expectation because inflation has been so low. Uh-huh. Like corporates haven't been acting on it. And so the people who are acting on inflation expectation is central banks, right? But central bank policy is if it's tied to expectation, they tie the monetary policy slightly, which leads to a lower forward inflation, right? So that's yeah, a, you, you, do, you do get a funny effect. So you're so 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 yeah, that's one thing to add into like that you then you'll yeah, that it is something that's being observed that inflation expectations hasn't been really flowing through to the actual inflation. Yeah, fair enough. I guess I guess that's a good point, policy intervention. But also um, just the fact that, okay, so there's two things. One, the theory suggests that higher inflation would lead to more current purchases, right? Which lead mm-hmm. to higher inflation. So higher inflation expectations lead to higher current purchases because you want to get, you know, whatever purchases before prices rise. But mm-hmm. just the confluence of a bunch of people purchasing right now in the present moment increases current prices. So mm-hmm. by expecting higher future prices, you buy right now which causes current prices to rise. And that kind of feeds into a cycle. That's the theory, right? There's also the flip side theory, which suggests that maybe the price level, the actual index of CPI gets too high, which um, lowers actual consumption. And I think 
that is probably what is more priced into the market right now because trend growth is priced so low, right? Like part of the <clears> reason why we see, I agree that it's definitely a central bank intervention and all that um, lowering long range inflation expectation and tips, but you see low real rates and tips because trend growth is expected to <clears> go <throat> very low again, right? <clears throat> Um, and it's a lot of the theory has potential output at lower lower trends as well because of COVID. So I again I don't think that higher inflation expectations would really pass through if that's the case where it's lowering current consumption. And I would definitely say that tightening monetary policy is not going to help. Then uh, I think it's what's priced in is definitely a supply issue and not a demand issue, and thus consumer inflation expectations shouldn't really cause higher future inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, sorry, continue. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I, I, I just want to say that well, my uh, my view is around uh, inflation expectations more of how it affects behavior from. It's also how it affects behavior from corporates, right? Because as we discussed, corporates are now absorbing uh, absorbing the cost. Right. It's whether or not we really see. I think aside whether or not we see cons- uh, inflation expectations impacting how these corporates um, price uh, their goods and services, right? Because if they start pricing up their goods and services in expectation of uh, higher inflation, because- But again, um, it could just lead to more absorption from the corporates because mm -hmm. if you suspect that the price level itself or just uh, difficulty from a balance sheet perspective for consumers will lower their propensity to consume, then Mm -hmm. the corporates have no choice other than to absorb all the price increases because Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise you won't make any sales. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. It's whether or not it, it's a balance between uh, market share and, and margins. Right. Um, and, and so, okay, now this is the most interesting. Housing and CPI, owner's equivalent rent. It's, it's very weird how they measure that. I, I certainly agree with that. And I agree that it definitely lags housing prices. But I'd say we've had a substantial period of unprecedented, maybe not unprecedented, but it's been crazy over the last year. This housing market is red hot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, clearly we've seen that slow down and naturally because it's been so hot, that makes year over year changes again, difficult, right? So this mm-hmm. goes back to the point I was mentioning earlier where because you rose so fast, it's tough to rise again that fast. Like if you raise prices $5 in a year, it's difficult to raise it. And let's say that's 5%, right? Um, so mm-hmm. you go from 100 to 105. Then the next year you have to raise it another five percent. It's going to be very difficult to do that again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so same thing with housing. If if house prices have risen substantially, like I don't know, a three hundred thousand dollar house went up to four hundred thousand dollars over the last year, it's going to be difficult for it to go to like five hundred fifty thousand, right? So mm-hmm. that makes the year over year change that we're heading into naturally going to be lower because it's tough to su- sustain that same growth. Like there has to be a reversion to the mean. Mm-hmm. I think. In my, in my opinion. Um, and the other thing with that is there's probably some more with COVID restrictions being lifted, there's more mobility. So part of it was a lot of people simultaneously moving out of the city into suburbs, right? So you saw huge mm-hmm. price increases in suburban housing. That's probably to be a little bit less red hot going forward because people are going back to cities. Um, mm-hmm. And also we have rising rates going forward. That is a very important thing, I think, that would slow down uh, house price appreciation. I, I agree that uh, uh, that housing are likely slow because it's quite unprecedented to have this low increase. But I think that the CPI measure of housing will continue to rise at the same pace because it's lagging the 
more real time measures of housing, right? So that you you have to have the CPI metric coming up. So it's so it's whether or not right actual inflation is agreeing with CPI measure. Like I think CPI measure would continue to run hot simply because it needs to catch up because it lags. Because right. okay. yeah, this but, lag and and the, and the gap currently is there. So so the gap needs to close somehow, right? Right. Um. Do you have any idea how long that typically takes? Because I actually haven't looked at that. I I don't know either. Um. How long it how long it will take? Um. We but, should look at that. But I think like Granger yeah. causality lags. Would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Entirely agree. Um, and so, another point of, uh, that we, that we can dis- that we should discuss is the cost of commodities, right, and the cost of energy. Uh, yes. So, so and energy is, I mean, as as we see in Europe, with uh, energy costs being, um, I think it was like right, right, three hundred, yeah, three three hundred percent increase. UK natural gas. Yes, yes, it's in the beginning of the year. Um, Insane. So, so a part of it, I think, is the move to ESG, right? Um, right. So, if in Europe, yeah, it also had cost of carbon, including that. Not just that; it's like people, people are moving towards more green energy sources, right? Yeah, there's an active but, 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 yeah, yeah, active policy and to and to restrict coal power and so. Right. But the thing is, green energy is not as love, not at a mature enough stage where it can make up for the demand for energy right. mm-hmm. it's, uh, um and another is this our willingness to move towards nuclear power right yes in, yeah. in the west um which i think is actually hurting uh and so, so, so you have no choice but to sure. go with these dirty energy providers but uh but the thing is since this regulation there to make it harder and harder for these dirty companies right right uh what you, what you end up having is you have these dirty companies that are established, right, are the ones that can do business. Right? It's hard for new participants. You know what yeah. I mean? So you're in a natural mode. And, and by squeezing these third companies, you're naturally raising the prices, right? So, like, yeah. it's just the increased supply. And you can see that in oil, too, right? Where, like, for the last, and not, not, not just as a measure issue, because energy, oil prices have been so low in the past, right? right. The supply of it has been very low. And the yeah. public expenditures. Com- companies are very well behaved relative to history. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so these companies are not willing to, uh, to grow their capital, right? To right. increase supply because it's been so long in the past. So that you you have a supply demand mismatch in mm-hmm. energy that 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 uh, is a big part, a big contributor to this. And so, and I think yeah, and a lot of that is actually, and it's second, like, it's also supply chain, right? It's it's about, I mean, another another part is the the chip shortage that's happening right now. Right. It's that, um, and look, looking at supply chain, so. It's, 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 you're thinking, uh, I'm thinking about how the supply chain can normalize, right? So supply chain, so, so the problem with supply chain right now is, let's starting with uh, these semiconductors, right? So there's a global chip shortage right now, um, and, and it's exemplified by the auto industry, right? Where, um, where cars are ready, right? We're ready to go, but, um, but there's not enough chips to finish the cars, right? They're, they're um, ready. So, they're just not what you want. Yeah. So uh, and, and so in, industries in general are more increasingly reliant on chips than before mm-hmm. with Internet of Things and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the thing is, with chips, you really do need the Asian producers to to come back. East Asian producers come back, right? like South Korea and Taiwan. Right. And so TSMC. And I know there have been talks about increasing U.S. domestic supply, but the thing, the thing, the thing with chips is that it's a very capex-heavy business. 
mm-hmm. right? And high industry concentration. So it's really, really difficult to get up, to get up, um, to get up fabs, right? To get fabs up and running. Yeah. Um, so that, and plus, there is a company that produces a lot of fabs, but the US is not letting them produce China, right? Right. <laughs> um, but if they are able to, but I heard that China is making their own machine uh, to produce, I think, I think it was 12, 22 nanometer or 12 nanometer chips that are basically uh, good enough for anything that's not your, C, uh, your CPU, right? And your, mm-hmm. and your top of the line smartphone. Um, and so that, so with those being produced, you might be able to see an increase in supply for uh, for chips for most usages, right? Um, but I'm but not sh- uh, not too familiar with how that is going. But uh, regardless, you need a East Asian producers to yeah. I- increase the supply, so US doesn't really do much. And so uh, the second part is the, the ports, right? You see the ports being congested. Um, so what's ha- what's happening? Uh, from from what I understand. Um, again, not an expert, but from what I understand is the problem isn't with the container ships, it's with the ports, right? Yeah. The ships are waiting for the port. The ships are like lying up by the port and, and waiting. And, and sometimes I've heard that sometimes it's actually fast. It's actually cheaper to not fully load up a ship because right. you, you because there's such a long wait time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the loading and unloading of ports are at full capacity and you, you can't just build a new port, right? Yeah, yeah. Ports are ports, and, you, and it's a lot of it's very infrastructure heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these ports are running at full capacity, well above trend. So not even compared to COVID, right? Compared to history. Um, so there, there needs to be a, a alleviation of congestion at, at the ports. Yeah. Um, somehow, right. Uh, you, you need alternative mode transportation to step up, to to come back up, or, or uh, such as you need trucks to go back up. You need tr- uh, tr- uh, truck traffic, uh, truck transportation to increase, or or something, right? Like yeah, uh, or or rail, something, anything to alleviate uh, ports. Yeah. Um, and that and the third part is well, I, I think it's a big a topic that it's worth talking about as well as China's effect on inflation, right? You have in the past decade or so, China essentially absorbing the cost of the West right. inflation right? Yeah, yeah. with suppressing the cost of the CLY, suppressing yeah. CLY. Mm-hmm. But China's not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? China's not suppressing CLY for the West. Yeah. CLY is increasing. And also China in the past, in the last year has been shutting down ports so it's like a snap yeah. of a finger, right? Because of COVID. But, and and these in China, you don't actually. It's the same effect. You don't have CP, C, CPI increases, but you have a lot of PPI increases. But right. since the export-oriented country, all, all that PPI increase ends up being exported to the West. Yeah. And so, 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 but the West have no choice but to continue buying from the Chinese supply because there's no alternative. Right. You cannot go to Vietnam right now. You cannot go to <laughs> India because the, the infrastructure is just not there. The fact the industrial capacity is not there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so China is no longer absorbing the cost of inflation for the West anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's I think that's the structural shift that that we're really seeing with, yes. with inflation as well. Definitely. That 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 is not being often talked about. Like and yeah, so so just wondering, uh, what do you think about the supply chain aspects? Um, actually, okay. So let let me let's go through energy supply chain mm-hmm. slash ships ports yeah. and then the structural issues. 
Um, okay, so for the energy thing, I think I definitely agree with you. I think that's here to stay um, as ESG is more heavily implemented by policymakers across, across uh -huh. the globe. But I think that's specifically an oil issue, I think, more than anything. Like all sort of mining, minerals, you need all that for green energy, right? Like how else do you build all like solar plants? How else do you build wind farms, right? You, you need this, these minerals. Uh -huh. um, so I think that's specifically an oil issue. And I think if you consider it from that aspect, all commodity prices have risen dramatically over the last year, right? Uh -huh. The fact that some of those more structural issues with oil um, aren't there necessarily for things like, I don't know, copper or steel or whatever, or aluminum, um, that means that part of it is just we're in a period of excess demand or temporary supply issues, right? It's not like you have a structural supply-demand imbalance in a lot of these commodities. Um, so I think it's not necessarily here for all commodities to stay going forward, this inflation that we've seen in commodity prices. And that implies that it won't be as much of a, of a punch up to CPI. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. It won't raise it as much, I don't think. But I definitely think that oil is very important. Um, gas prices are probably going to be higher going forward. There's nothing really to do about it. Um, and, and that's just going to be a higher contributor. Uh, the second thing was the shortages and ships and all that. I've personally, I've stuck away from all of it because I feel like it's a rabbit hole to get down. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Into like ch chips and, and ports and all that. But I will say that we had the last decade of one and a half percent inflation and output is lower than it was before. Right. So it's got to be something that is partially temporary. But part of the impact has to be temporary because we didn't see these sort of issues before, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you get what I mean by that? But because we were having higher output in the same level of trade before or a level of trade that is satisfactory to meet all the output before. OK, mm -hmm. um, now because of COVID, um, we shut everything down and I guess it's probably harder or maybe there's excess demand or there's a bunch of extra reasons why it may be temporary, but I feel like it has to be temporary, at least mm -hmm. in a large part, because we didn't have these issues before at a higher level of output globally. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the chips and ports. I haven't really thought too much about it, but that's just my, my two cents. Um, the last thing is the structural issues. I definitely agree that um, China PPI matters more than CPI and they will start exporting more inflation to the world, or in other words, importing less deflation, um, importing less inflation from, from developed countries. But I think that that has kind of been in place since uh, um, the 2016 election, right? Like since the whole trade spats became a thing, I think that has been on the mind of consumers. And it's not, it's not like Biden was particularly dovish towards China either, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think in, in US corporates minds, um, this has been a brewing issue that they have had to deal with regardless of the administration and that has been in development for years. So I think redundancy in supply chains and reshoring is likely to happen over the next decade and probably contributes to higher inflation, but it's something that has already been accounted for or not entirely accounted for, but already um, expected. Do you, do you get what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. I, I think it goes down to whether or not you believe that company, countries out there can actually can replace China's role in the supply chain. Because I, I think China's in a unique place in the supply chain where it has a, not just a large workforce, a large workforce that's educate, that's STEM educated, right? Mm. Um, like a well-trained workforce, large well-trained workforce that's highly productive so that it, 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 ha it has the population aspect and it has the 
the uh, the population aspect, right? Right. And so that you, you for example, if you go to Shenzhen, right, which is uh, uh, it's one of the major cities in China, um, mm-hmm. and and you're, and you're some hardware entrepreneur, you you can get everything, right? Right. Just in Shenzhen, like for, for you to create a prototype, like the entire supply chain is there. Mm-hmm. It, it, so, so like it's it's also yeah, it's just a matter of economy of scale, especially with trying to move, move uh, in the what I call the middle economy, right? Which is not like super, very high tech goods yet, yeah. but it's it's in, it's important goods with some, with techlo- technological elements. So that's China's role right now, and I, and I and I don't really see another country having the infrastructure and the workforce to replace China's role in it, no matter how hawkish the West gets towards China. They have to play ball uh, with that. It just uh, and another interesting thing about last thing about shipping before we move on to another topic is I, I remember there was this guy on Twitter. I, I just found it. Um, he, he's a CEO of a supply chain company that he rented a boat. Okay. Um, to to go to your port and to find out what has happened, right? To just a ship, and then so basically, I'm just gonna read from the Twitter chain. So first off, the boat captain said we were the first company ever to rent its boat to tour the port, the port to see how everything was working up close, blah, 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 blah. So the ports of LA Long Beach are a standstill, three-hour loop through the port complex, passing through every terminal. We saw less than half a dozen containers containers get unloaded. So there are hundreds of cranes. Right. But seven, only seven are even operating. And so, those so that's, seem to that's be going a labor issue, right? Yeah, it, it, it looks like from that guy's experience like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems that like everyone now is born at the yard space and at the container terminals. So the terminals are simply overflowing with containers, which means they can no longer have space taking new containers right. when either ships or land. So it, it's, it's a traffic jam where like it, where there's just not enough space for all these containers. Yeah. And right now, if you have a chassis with no empty container in it, you can go pick up containers at any port terminal. However, if you have an empty container on that chassis, they're not... Uh, allowing you to return it except for on a highly restricted basis. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't, if you can't get it empty off the chassis, you don't have a chassis to go pick up the next container, right? Nobody goes to keep the next container, you can't jam. So now you have a real issue, right? Where like, right. You, you, you can't pick up a container because you can't empty your, you can't drop off your container. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so they are so full, containers turn out to be highly restricted and where, where they're accepting empties. Right? And so containers are not fungible between carriers. So truckers have to drop off the empty right, the right terminal. Right. And this is causing empty containers to pile up. Right. And then, and there's a truck trucking company with six yards that represents 153 owner operator drivers. And he has almost three containers sitting on chassis and yard for every driver on his team. Uh-huh. So there's just too many empty containers, not enough drivers. Yes. Um, yeah. And he can't take the containers off the chassis because he's not allowed to by the city of Long Beach zoning code. Right? He can't, you can't just put containers everywhere. The chassis is not tied up. And starting empty, that can't be returned to the port. There are no yeah. chassis available to pick up the containers at the port. So the trucking companies can't put, can't move, the, also can't move it fast enough. So the ports can't move it fast enough. The trucking companies can't move it fast enough, right? Mm-hmm. So, so all these, so, so this, I know, nobody can move fast enough. And I think, I think that's not, it's not just the labor. Right? That also goes back into why I, I think the guy said that not all cranes are moving because there's not a lot of things that need to be moved. There's a lot of things that's piling up, right? You can't move right. it. Because like why are you gonna move the empty containers all around, right? Um, and so yeah, with, and containers tar- 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 piling up the terminal yard, and longshoremen can't load the ships. Queue goes larger. We've now over seventy ships containing five hundred thousand containers running off the shore. The line's getting longer, not shorter. There's a negative feedback loop that's cycling out of control. Mm-hmm. And, and so that guy has like, 
idea to fix it. So your design operation where you must choose a bottleneck, bottleneck appears somewhere, you didn't choose it. You aren't running operations running you. You should always choose the most capital intensive part of the line to be a bottleneck. And so the crane should never be unable to run because they're waiting for another part of the operation to cash out. So that's actually, get, there's a point where the crane is not operating, not because nobody offered the crane, but it just cannot run because there's nothing to do right, right. for the crane. Yeah, yeah. So, so the bottleneck right now is not the tr cranes, the yard space, the terminals, right? Right. And but that's, that's because the of trucking, right? No, like every, everything. So the trucking is jammed up because the ports are jammed up. So everything that's jammed up, like, like it's just not enough space to put the, so nobody can drop off the empty containers to go pick up a new container, mm -hmm. right? So they, they, so now you have a problem, real problem in that, like, you're just shuffling containers, trying to shuffle, trying to shuffle space for containers around. Right, right, right. And so, so, so the operation where bottleneck appears, somebody designed it. You must overwhelm the bottleneck. So they're simple. When, um, blah blah blah. Everyone change. Uh, so it's executive order immediately to ride override it's only lost in Long Beach to allow truck yards to store empty, empty containers six high instead of the current two. Because right now, yeah, so the trucking yards can only store the containers too high. Like two okay. of them, right? Two, yeah. So they help each other. So, not, so he, that guy's like, you should just be allowed to store more. Right. So, so just free up more chassis to, go to, to uh, pick up from the ports. And then bring every container chassis owned by the National Guard and the military to, to the ports. So, that it, to, so basically get the National Guard military to like take, take, the, take the excess um, containers away. Right. Right. To clear, to clear it up and to basically have more storage and, and just create a large temporary yard. Right. And force the rails to haul all the containers to the new site. Right. So to, to, to drop it off in the new site and then bring in barging containers. So basically, the, the guy's idea is just finding ways to like take the containers off the yards. Right. right, right. And, and so I, I think that, that kind of goes into what I said in, in about the research piece I read about the capacity of these. So, so, um, so the port traffic is well above trend, right? Mm -hmm. but it, so with the traffic well above trend, right? 30 million tons of cargo being waiting to unload it as, as, uh, as well above trend. Why is it still clogged? It, I think that guy got it. It's like, it's well above trend, traffic well above trend, because, but it's still clogged because there's so many empty containers that you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and so, yeah, just wanted to highlight that guy's experience. I, I think that's, yeah, that, 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 to me, that's what a real logjam looks like, right? It's that, right. It's a, it, there's a bot. It, it, it kind of reminds me of like when you have, when, when you, how you have traffic jams on the highway. Right. Right. In, in a way where, like, let's say that you, uh, have you heard about how traffic jams on the highway usually cause by like it's, one crash? It, yeah. Yeah. It's because people slow down, right? Okay, so so let's say a crash happens, right? The yeah. first guy slows down to you know yeah. see what's happening, and, and, then and, then everybody... and the second guy slows down, and so and so and so everyone's slowing down and starting again. Yeah. So so eventually, what ha happened is that you have one area where everyone's slowing down and starting. Yeah. And so so you have all the and so you have cars just piling up there while ahead of it is like completely empty, mm -hmm. and behind it is jammed up. Yeah. And that's kind of like reminds me of what, uh, what's happening with highways. And it, yeah, it's quite interesting. Now, I think to extend it back to our discussion, do we hmm. think that that's to be a persistent factor over the next decade? Oh, the next decade? I, I, I think no. Or over the right? next like, five years? Oh, over oh, the next five years on, on, the, on the shipping specific aspect. I, I think it'll last probably another, another year sure. for the ports. But I think the semiconductors 
part is uh, like we more it's more more of that because the the demand for chips is only increasing right from here, right um so so I will we'll have to see how how China picks up and the uh, the excess semiconductor mm-hmm. right but but to me it, my main feature still goes back into labor and the and whether or not these companies will be willing to absorb costs right and yeah. I think that I think I think all, all the stuff that we discuss around supply chains semiconductors um, even energy like it's it's more on periphery is what's going to be core is is two I think housing and housing and the labor slash corporate dynamic right and i think in the end that's what's really gonna determine whether or not do do, do we see this current labor movement being longer lasting or is it just a fad right, right. do you really see like people sticking it to their bosses right quitting their jobs or is it just a thing now because well it's i think fresh out covid i think that depends extremely on the next year. I think labor costs need to rise substantially to entice oh, yeah. labor to come back to the workforce. If yeah. that happens, then I think in an ideal situation, you have rising wages, you have a higher workforce, or you entice people to come back to the workforce. You have some of these supply constraints being alleviated over the next year. Mm-hmm. And with the confluence of those three, you just have higher trend growth because wages are higher, people can consume more, and you are able to expand supply higher and use whatever excess supply you had before. So you put yourself mm-hmm. on a higher growth trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it, my view of labor is I think the power dynamic has shifted, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the past, the power is enhanced in the employer, right? Right. It's that people are essentially begging for a job. You're lucky you have a job, right? Like people will take any work thing you get. Yeah. Now people are like, no, like, I, I, like, like if you treat me poorly, if I don't get a raise, I'm just gonna quit. And because there are tons of other employers willing to hire me. Yeah. So so, so now the power dynamics have completely shifted. This actually a really interesting, like really funny tweet I saw of like a CBS, which is I, I we're, uh, which is like a pharmacy slash convenience store, essentially. Right. Um. Uh. With all the shelves empty, and so it's like, well, why is it empty? It's like, well, here's the thing. There's two employees, <laughs> me and another guy. And it's my first day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, and so, 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 and so, yeah. Like, you. So now that I think of how I think what we saw is a power shift in power dynamics For sure. uh, in, in labor, and it, it'll be interesting to see how long this lasts. But anyways, um, before we wrap up, I just want to talk about just a couple of random things that interesting, uh, I things that we saw, and then and then we, so I talk about the interesting piece of research, and then we talk about uh, some hilarious slash not uh, investment like mo- like I'll say more out of the blue investment ideas. Uh-huh. And oh, so and, and before we wrap up, we have to make a bet. I think we should do that. Yeah, yeah, we should make a bet like like before. Okay. Yeah. So. So, so, so uh, what we want to talk about research-wise is that there, there's this piece of research. It's a bit older. It's called um, Pulling the Goalie, right? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I sent it to you. It's yeah, like yeah. I did read from it. 20, 2018. So essentially, gist of it is in hockey, uh, when teams are down a lot, you can pull the goalie, which means, well, because you only have a certain number of players on, 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 on the ring. I, I don't watch hockey. So do you know how many players are allowed? I have zero idea, dude. <laughs> Let's look it up so that I don't have a hockey number of players. 
Yeah, eleven. So, uh, eleven players on the team. How, how many players on the ice? Each team has six players on the ice. It seems okay. Whatever. Like I don't watch hockey. I, I watch football, but I don't watch hockey, so I have literally no clue. But anyways, what we can do is that since you allow eleven number players, you don't have to have a goalie. Like there's no rule saying you have to have a goalie. Right. So you so you can just have everyone go and try to score and have your net empty. Because the theory is, like, if you're losing by one point, it's the same as if you're losing by five points, right? L is an L, right? If you lose, you lose, right? Like, it, it does not matter. Oh, how, how, uh, I mean, in terms of the results, how much you lose by. Right. So when, when teams are down a lot, they, they, you, you, you go and pull the goalie so that you try to score because the, the probability of scoring increases and the probability of getting scored on increases, right? Mm-hmm. But since you have the higher variance, right, you end up having a higher probability of winning if, you, if you're down, right. right? It's the same thing with, 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 uh, with markets, why, like, higher volatility stocks have, like, have higher option prices, right? Like, oh, you're like, oh, th- 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 isn't the higher probability of it going down? Yes, but it's also a lot higher probability of it going up. Right. If it has higher volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's essentially... That, that's that's kind of what we have uh, for, for and, and then it talks about how what's the optimal time to pull a goalie it's actually so um, it's, if you, the paper found that if, if you it's quick, a simple simulation of, that the optimal, the optimal time to pull a goalie is actually a lot earlier than any NFL coach I mean NHL coach is willing to do it um, because if you're, if you're down like and you, you basically basically if you're down it's late enough you just pull a goalie and go right even if it's one, if you're down, like a score or two, like and, and obviously the more you're down by, the earlier you pull the goalie. Um, and it's the same thing you see in other sports too, right? Like in football. Um, so so quick. So and I don't need to watch football, so I'll quickly go over it. Um, so basically, there are four downs in football, right? So you, you basically you each down is so so basically what, what basically what you try to do is so you get first down if you go beyond the, ten yards, right? Ten yards from the initial line of scrimmage. Uh-huh. So basically, you have four downs. So traditionally, what you do is use three, right? One, two, three to try to get a fresh set of downs. And, and then you, if you don't, And then the fourth, you just kick it away to the other team to get better field, field position, right? Right. Because, because a fourth down, if you don't make it, the team takes over where you're at, where you right. are, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're like enough in the, in, in the opponent's territory, what you can do is kick the field goal, right? Mm-hmm. And just get three points. But um, but now people are going more for fourth downs because I mean sometimes you, like if you're down a lot you might as well take the risk right right and plus if it's four and set two yards two yards is pretty easy to get yeah it doesn't feel like it but like over the course of the game it's pretty it's, pretty, it's, a, high, it's a high probability of converting mm-hmm. so so if it's deep in the opponent's territory you might as well just go for it until you get seven, which is uh-huh. about six, technically six to ten, but you're essentially getting seven because you're probably going to kick the extra point. Um, uh-huh. And so, and yeah, so it's being more aggressive in the play because it doesn't matter if you lose by one one point, it doesn't matter if you lose by a lot. But mm-hmm. this is fake. Like, like, even if mathematically, it doesn't matter how much you lose by. There's a human element to it, right? Yeah. Because let's say you're, let's say you're a coach that pulls a goalie uh, and, and you just get absolutely blown out, right? Make a make a make a make it loss a lot worse than it is, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you're losing by, by a couple of points, and then and then uh, you pull the goalie and you just get blown out. You're like, oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, like, why do you put a horrible decision? But because right. people judge 
decisions based on results, right? Mm-hmm. Not a process. Mm-hmm. And so, it, but if you keep it close, right? And you play conservatively and you lose by one point, right? You're like, ah, oh, th- these guys gave it their all, right? Yeah. It was a close game. It could have gone either way, right? And mm-hmm. you get to keep your job as a coach, right? And you can motivate your team. And right? be like, oh, we will get them next time, boys. Yeah. Um, well, in, in actuality, you probably just lower the chances of you <laughs> uh, right. winning. Um, so, you, so to, I talk, and there's an investment implication, right, to that, where why do investors do conservative strategies such as, you know, 60-40, right, or whatever? Talk about the exact same thing. Why, why do a lot of institutional investors sound the same? Or buying high-quality names, right, like, you know, uh, Apple. 40, buy, you know, but you know, buy good companies. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like everyone knows Apple's a good company. Okay, that's that's why Apple, right? Is that's why valuation Apple, is the way it is. That's why the way it is, right? Like everyone knows Tesla, you know. Yeah, has good product. That's why it's but that's its P ratio is over two hundred percent, two hundred percent times, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, like Google. Everyone knows Google's a good company. Okay, like, and and so you. But here's the thing: you invest in companies high valuations, right? Uh, the, the, pro- the likelihood of it going up further is sm- smaller, like probability-wise, right? Because the valuation is higher, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, 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 so it requires more in terms of future earnings, right? To justify the valuations, the higher it goes. Yeah. But the thing is, a in the short term, right? It, it, could, it doesn't matter, right? Valuation doesn't matter in the short term. So the short term, but the second thing is, let's say you 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 just buy the index name, right? In the index dollars, words, hug the index or whatever, right? Like you're probably not gonna get fired, right? Because nobody's gonna fire you for buying Google and Apple, right? Like mm-hmm. because it's the easily defensible. It's because it's a conservative approach, right? But let's say let's say you make a highly levered bet, right? On let's say uh, uh, on maybe an, an energy name, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you, and and you, if you make money, people are gonna write off as poor luck, and if you lose money, you're gonna get fired. Um, because it's the perception, right? It's the perception of like, well, like, well, 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 why do you make a stupid bet? Like, but even even if like these earning companies are, uh, uh, you believe them to be undervalued, right? You um, there's there's a human aspect to it, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's, it's, a lot of it is the conservativeness of uh, investing, right? Uh, of, of investment managers. Um, are affected by their perception of their decisions and the implications on their careers, just like these coaches are. But over time, it's going to shift, right? Because you you do see the these quants, right, rising in finance, right? Where where um, where, where you take advantage of uh, mis mispricing uh, market behaviorally, and you see that in sports too, right? With coaches over time opting for more more aggressive approaches because over time, more aggressive coaches sometimes they have better results, right? And it's copycat, right? It's a copycat business. Right. In, in finance as in sports. So yeah, I just want to talk about it because that's pretty interesting. The human aspect of the investment business that's yeah. now you talk about. So like that why do investors why 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 do people get paid lots of money to to buy to to perform like the S P? Well it's because the it's by design. If you perform at the benchmark, nobody's gonna yeah. fire you. <laughs> yeah, no, that but, was that was a really interesting article. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so speaking of uh, this hugging benchmark, let's talk about some uh, risky investment ideas that, that we're doing in our portfolios. For me, you, you know me, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a big leverage guy. Yeah. 
yeah. I, I, I am I am heavily invested in these leverage ETFs. Yeah. And a couple of reasons. So 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 these leverage ETFs, so two times three times leverage, they this is, they use total return swaps to get the to to uh, to lever up for for the day, right? And close up for the day, and and we initiate the next day. So mm-hmm. each day is two or three times. So it's not two or three times for a long period of time. So it's two, three times for the day. Yeah. So some people point out like, oh, like you're not really getting your leverage in some periods. You're underperforming. But here's the thing: these there's an aspect of trend following to this as well, right? Because yeah. if you have a high, yeah. if you have a high, if you have a strong trend in the market. What you have is the these levered um, instruments outperforming, right? Because you reset uh, you reset your capital at a higher level each day as well, right? Mm-hmm. So. So you come out higher level, and uh, so what you really lose is the high periods of volatility, right? Because if it's yes. drawdown, it has to come back, right? Um, because it resets you lower, and it's just capital base much lower, and it has to come back. But in peers where it's like lower volatility, with strong trend, uh, you perform. And over long periods of time, if you if you still believe in positive equity risk premium, right? Um, over long periods of time, you should be able to make money, right? Because if you believe in positive equity risk premium, market beta, right? Um, what you end up getting is you, you get, yeah, you get random walk of drift, right? Which yeah. has a strong trend and 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 leverage perform well over long periods of time. Just like yeah. how if you look at any strategy, essentially investment strategy, like in terms of that that's technically technical based, right? Like you know, people you know people use all kinds of stuff, right? Like the Bollinger bands, whatever, like the Fibonacci, like you know, you know, you know the, the classics, right? Like yeah, yeah. And, and, okay, okay, let them get less um some of the funny ones that people use. Give me a second. I think all of them are funny. Oh, like the, the, some of them just look absolutely ridiculous, like thousands yeah. of lines drawn. Yeah, uh, yeah, like but, the, the retracement lines. I really yeah, think that's, like, that's funny. The, 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 the retracement lines not even the funniest one. There, there is oh, no, okay. I'm looking. I'm gonna try to find it because this. The, uh, I, I, uh, Ichimoku, right? Uh, that 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 was hilarious, right? And different oscillators and stuff. You, you know the one people just draw random lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone's seen them, but over lots of your time, what is the best performer that beats all of them? Buy and hold, right? Hundred percent. But buy and hold wins, <laughs> and, and so and, and I believe buy and hold lever ETFs win. And if you, if you, if I believe if you're young, right, don't need the money immediately. You put the money somewhere, right? And just let it compound on a lot of ETFs basis for long periods of time. You're gonna you're gonna make money, right? Yeah, I listen, man. I'm a I'm a rates guy, so I'm too bearish to do that. What were your some of your so out of the blue investment ideas? I I think you have one with crypto. So okay, I was trying to do interlisted arb. For those of you that don't know, interlisted arb is where you look at different exchanges. And if the same asset is trading at different prices, you buy on one and sell on the other to make a riskless profit, theoretically riskless. Um, but man, I looked today and first of all, crypto is such a weird market where you don't get quoted two ways. Okay, so that was really annoying. But for the few exchanges where I did, Jesus Christ, these spreads are ridiculous. So there's yeah, no transaction costs. Yeah, there's transaction costs on top of the spreads as well. So the spread is the difference between the price at which you buy and sell. So Bitcoin, for example, is trading at around like 80,000 Canadian dollars, right? Um, if you were to go and buy it and sell on most of these exchanges, you'd have to buy at like 81,000 and sell at 79,000, which is huge, right? That's, it's, a, it's a big deal um, mm-hmm. to be quoted spreads like that. So that means that 
the price difference on different exchanges need to be over ten, over two thousand um, dollars in this specific example, plus the transaction cost that you pay to transfer money from one wallet to the other. So that is absolutely not possible. I guess I'm not going to be able to do interlisted arb. Um, Bitcoin futures or crypto futures are banned in Ontario, so I can't do that either. So I guess I need to go back to the regular stuff. Probably just you know balanced portfolio stuff. I, again, I'm sitting on a ton of cash right now because I sold everything. Um, so I guess not, nothing for me, but that was definitely a huge downer this morning when I, when I tried to finally mm. do it. Give me a couple seconds. I'm looking this up because there, there's optimization function that you can do to like, uh, that's basically that you can do to look for these arts. But I, I do know that people have, people have tried to do, to do this, right? What, what you said with, uh, with different exchanges for crypto, but yeah, crypto transaction costs are ridiculous. Yeah, right? it's crazy. It's crazy. So the any sort of arm will be armed away by, by uh by transaction costs and, and I think that, that that's something that's in, in real markets too where where sometimes arms exist but the transaction costs are just too high. True. For Very it to true. be to, to to be implementable. Um. So let's give me a few seconds to see if I can find it. If I can't find it quickly, I am just going to uh, give up and chalk it to I do not remember. <laughs> I'm trying to get a name of the um. The, well, I looked, the, the, at, the, I looked the, at a few of the main ones that you can do in CAD directly. There's um, an optimization function for, 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 the, the, for the shortest path, right? Uh, the, 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 that involves the shortest path. Uh, just give me, uh, okay, I'll, I'll just give me a couple of minutes. So, so that's like what? Um, like some graph theory algorithm to. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. I, I, I completely forgot. I, I'm just blanking out. Like, I know this. Like, like I, 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 I've done this on a more. Uh, of course, like not a real data set, but on a uh, fake data set before mm-hmm. to to learn the algorithm. But uh, well, it's not like Prim's algorithm, right? Okay, it's give me a couple more seconds. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, so 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 this crypto thing, the crypto future is bad. That actually sucks. That it's bad because you you, you, you couldn't. It's here. Um, so I opened accounts. I probably. So this is the this is the annoying thing because I didn't quote you two-way markets properly. So I've made all these accounts on these different crypto exchanges and now I'm looking at it like shit, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, so Kraken is one of the ones that I opened an account on. And let me open the futures over here because it is crazy. Kraken mm-hmm. futures. Okay, so uh one oh, sorry, sorry. I, I I got the name of it. It's called the oh. Bellman Ford algorithm. So, so this oh, way does is find yeah, okay. it finds a minimum weight path from a single source vertex to another, right? right. To all other vertices on the Arctic graph. Yeah. So it, it's basically what, what we do is model out the the market using Arctic graphs mm-hmm. and see if you can find arbitrage, right? But yeah, maybe, like I, should, for the crypto, maybe I should still try. But man, brutal. Yeah. So for, for the crypto futures, so so essentially what it is is that it uses something called cash and carry. So you you long slash short a well, you, you, I think you, you, it's usually logging the the crypto, destroying the future. Yeah, usually, but yeah. it could potentially go either direction. So the way you do is that at expiry of the future, which this is not real futures, okay? Like this is not like real futures. I think regulated by CFTC, but like finance, like you mentioned, these. yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're fake. Um, so but anyways, these futures at expiry is gonna be the same, right? Because that's when you had to deliver. Yeah. And so 
but the thing, but there's a price difference. I, I, I so you can use that for carry. And why that exists because there's actually a cost of leverage, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, because if you go short in the future, that allows someone to long, right? Yeah. And so less allows someone to take leverage. So they're essentially paying you the cost of leverage. Yeah. Um, for for the crypto, and so there's Which a premium that exists. Um, it is very high. It's like I think like some are like not eight nine percent. Yeah, it's for the well, holding period. Okay, let's look at yeah. I'm looking at it in CAD, but okay. Uh, did, did you see the website I sent you? FTX premiums. Yes, I did. I did, but yeah. can't do any of it. But okay, so on Kraken, yeah. Bitcoin Spot. That means uh, the actual bitcoins that you can buy and trade. Um, those are sixty three nine eighty one. Okay, the December futures are trading at sixty four eight eighty seven. So that's mm-hmm. like a thousand bucks in carry. Over what mm-hmm. two months? A month. That's a month, right? Over mm-hmm. over sixty grand of capital put into this. That is. Let's calculate that. Thousand over sixty five thousand times twelve. That's eighteen percent annualized. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous, right? Um, but I guess we we can't do it. it. Yeah. If you had a huge account, you could even do this in a proper way on CME futures. Those are properly regulated and all, mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, and and, and anything about these crypto features, right? Because there's cash and carry for like essentially any commodity. But here's the thing: crypto it doesn't cost you space to store it, right? Yeah. So that because you can do it for oil, but you 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 need to find a way to store your oil, and, and yeah. the cost of storage of oil, unless you have a massive infrastructure, yeah. Also, that, that's somehow cheaper than everyone else. Yeah. You're not gonna make any money. Right? And because, also, it, it's very frequent for the oil curve to go in backward Asia, right? Yeah. So, so, and, but here, here's the danger part of using cash and carry. It's that even though they converge at expiry, so it's delta neutral at expiry, mm-hmm. it, it can widen during the interim. Yeah. Of market volatility. So if, if you're, because if you're like leveraging the tilt doing this, yeah, you can get margin called and, and you get closed out at the wise and lose all your money. But oh, this, yeah. is, this is, so, so this is something that uh, I would recommend people doing in crypto if they have like a crypto account, mm-hmm. but like don't know what crypto to buy. If you're like, and if you're just holding cash, you might you might as well make a few, make 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 a few percentage, right? You know, doing you this need to while have 100% sitting cash in cash allocation to do this, though. Oh yeah, like like it, it cannot be on a lever basis, or yeah. you will blow up. Yeah, because if you get margin call, this it's all over, right? If you oh, yeah. get margin call, you, you there's no way to get back in the position. It's just so sad, man. Man, yeah, it's so much yeah. money to be made. Yeah, like like I don't know. Well, yeah. If you want this, this much money you made in uh, buying Tesla cars too. <laughs> 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 yeah, right? yeah, so that's. I guess we end up on a bet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What do you want to do? Do you want to do something markets or economics? Well, I mean, inflation can't do because, I mean, that's going to be like a five year bet. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Well, we could do next month inflation, but I'd prefer not to because I have no particular. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's, that, that's too short term. Um, well, 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 let's do markets. But what do you think we close for the year? Hmm. S&P? Yeah. Let me see where we are right now. Yeah, uh, S&P futures are at 4678. Uh, that's ES1. Yeah. And this is... When, wait, when does ES1 close? Uh, close Saturday. Close Friday. No, oh, <laughs> all markets okay. close on Friday. 
<laughs> no, no, no. I, I meant, I meant, what is it? Mature. Oh, it doesn't matter because it. Right. Oh yeah, true, 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 true. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. So, do you have it at forty six seventy eight? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. What do you think we close for the year? Because I, I, we'll first get a level, and then we do above and unders. Hmm. It's a tough one, man. Because my my above is is at least forty seven fifty, at least. Really? Yeah. I'll take the under on that. Forty seven fifty. Yeah. But 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 you're adding. But, but I I want some odds on that. Well, we, we, we all we do is just move move it uh, up and down. Okay. So, so, um, that, that's why I asked you for like what you expected to close, right? And then we can shift it. Because of why? Because my minimum is forty seven fifty. What like what's your maximum? Maximum is probably five. I don't think we go above five. Oh, of course, no, 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 no way we'll go above five. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, like what would say would be a reasonable maximum? Let's call it 4,800 or 48.25. I think I'm comfortable going there. So for your maximum? Uh, for like a re- your reasonable maximum, this, because this is like my twenty five percent. This is this, this, I'm I'm saying forty seven fifty is my twenty fifth percentile. Like I I, I see that on a quote unquote minimum, but that's like my twenty fifth okay. percentile. So so what's your seventy fifth percentile? Your seventy fifth percentile. Seventy fifth. That's yeah, that's forty eight twenty five. I think my maximum is forty eight sixty five. So forty eight twenty five is so 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 what would be your median? Because my median would be, I'll say forty eight hundred. Sure. Yeah, 400. I'll take the under on that. I'll take the over. All right. Done. Done. Uh, what, are we, what are we betting? Uh, Italian food. Oh, at, yeah. At the place? Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's really good. With the, uh, the, the prosciutto sandwich, like, I actually regret not getting that, personally. Because I, mean, I know you're vegetarian, but I regret not getting that because, it, we do, like, just look at how much food it came with, right? Like, it's That's a true. giant That's bowl true. of rice. It's actually pretty sandwich. good. And a giant sandwich, but either way, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. I did like that uh, a lot. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, let's play on that. Did your end. So for next year, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll decide who else who uh, Italian food. Okay, so we're doing last price ES one on December thirtieth. Uh, yeah, just uh, whatever whatever the last week of the year is. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. That is. Uh... I I hope it's for you hundred. If it's for you hundred, then then that's a lot of money to be made. I'm nervous as hell now. I I mean, on one hand, okay, think about it. On one hand, like for you hundred is like over a hundred away, right? So yeah. it isn't like it isn't that close. Okay, it's about two and a okay, half percent. Two, two and a half percent, right? Like it's not that close. And, yeah. and, year, and it's not like a one touch, right? Because if it's a one touch, it's a completely different discussion. Yeah, yeah. Then this is for year end. And, one and, touch, and we can go to five. Oh, like, you think so? Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No way, dude. Okay, let, let's see. Okay. No, five, five percent or, or, or five, five thousand. Five thousand. Five thousand? You, you don't think on a one touch basis we can go up five percent? Oh, dude, no, 5,000 is 7%. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Or wait, no, hold on. 46. 6.8. 6.88. So 6.9. Ah, you are right. But yeah, I, I still think we can do that. 
Well, uh, I, uh, okay. I, I don't think it's likely, but I think that's totally within the if, realm if, of if possibility. We hit 5, if, we, if we hit five thousand, I'm gonna liquidate my entire portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think that's within. I don't think it's likely, but I think that's totally within the realm of possibility. I mean, like, come on, like, okay, how, you know how much has gone by this year? Like, what twenty twenty four percent already? Let, let, let me see total return. Give me one second. It's already like twenty four percent this year. Just. It's not, it's unreal because once you think about it, at the beginning, I like at the middle of the year, like what? Uh, okay, so the middle of the year, the let's let's say at at uh, June, what well, at June, right? The market was up. How much was it? Uh, I think I think wasn't the market up? Uh, give me one second. June is too far of a look back for me, but okay, let, let's let's look at what happened since September because September was a risk off month. That was like Evergrande and all that, right? Uh, yeah. Well, no. I, I, what I mean is, in in June, what were you expecting the market to be, right? Because, because I think June was like what, like twelve percent, I want to say, or fifteen. Uh, Dude, I, I, June, I, I, June is probably what I was. Uh, I was having us back at like thirty eight hundred. <laughs> I was so bearish. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah, fifteen percent. So fifteen percent. My my expectation was that we hit eighteen and we're done for the year, hmm. right? Like. Right, because because think about how good last year is, and then and here we are sitting at uh at twenty six percent total return. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, okay, so the, so the other thing so, is, so, I don't really so six so percent is not it's not additive, right? It's like that's going to move it to like what thirty five for the year. That's uh, sixteen times one point one point one six times one point oh seven. Yeah, no, well, one point one seven. Yeah, yeah, uh, one uh, one point two six times one point two one point oh seven. One point two six times one point oh seven. 30, 35%. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Roughly, it's yeah. crazy, but we've seen that before. We've seen it. So, so like, like well, well, let's, 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 if it does hit that, I don't care. I'm selling, as a big believing leverage, I'm selling all my leverage. <laughs> okay. I'm, also, I'm selling it all. Also, from September end, we've rallied 9% to today. Okay. So, what the <laughs> hell happened in the last month? That was that great. Yeah. Last two that, 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 is, that is wild. So, right. To, to, to think about it. so 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 what, 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 yeah so yeah like all, all this is possible so even though we're talking numbers that are inconceivable just a couple of years ago it's not five thousand yeah. five thousand think about it yeah it's but insane this, dude. This, 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 this is the effect of exponential this is why humans are so bad at conceptualizing <laughs> exponential growth right yeah five thousand like like okay so so so, so when was the last time SP was at three thousand? Not, 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 not a drawdown, but like bull market three thousand. Let's see, let's see. When, when was the last time? Was at three? Bull market wise, okay. Not, not, not COVID drawdown. Um, Jesus, the, it didn't hit 3,000. Oh, last 3, time it was at three thousand. It, it was twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Three thousand. I remember when and five thousand was the one That's is crazy and. And, yeah. tw- and 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 2017, right? That's uh, before 2017. It was two thousand. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like that's not even doing it. Oh my god. Yeah. So yeah. So so that's, and, you know, I mean, this is what exponential growth looks like. But it is crazy. But I just it, okay. It, the reason why I got the bearish bias, I actually did get bullish briefly in uh, in uh, September when. Yes. That started him the fan, but the reason why is because it seems like price action has been kind of weak lately, whereas data mm-hmm. has not been that bad except for inflation. And like inflation running hot isn't necessarily bad economically. Mm-hmm. Um, for, so for me, but, sorry, continue. 
I was just going to say, we have decent data coming out. We have not that many terrible factors underlying in the data, but you have weak price action. So that's sentiment. It seems like it's kind of stretched. Um, you have tapers going off globally. You have tightening likely to be increasingly priced in across the globe. So it just seems like there's a bunch of factors that are difficult for equities. Uh, mm -hmm. The biggest thing to me is the tapering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so I guess we end up with, uh, with, with what I want to say is that's like, for me, it's, you, you know how I feel about price action. I, 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 am, I am very anti the uh, technical talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah, because I, I, I think I told you about like how you kind of, how like you you can do geometric value motion simulation of the market and give it to a technical guy and they'll just yeah. do it, 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 those random price charts. Yeah, yeah fair, um, enough, fair enough. Uh, uh, but 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 there are there's some reason I like to and a for me is that I, I don't see anything at least to year end stopping the the trend right. Right. And B is well, well tape, tape tape starting now, right? Yeah, but but it's light taper, right? To, yeah, to, to be honest, and it, no it discussion of hike will happen until I think next year. Yeah, absolutely agreed. zero discussion. Agreed. Um, so just dip and just dip buying, man. Like dip, like I said, dip buying. People will continue to buy the dip until it stops working. Because why would you stop something that's been printing you money the entire year? True. Right. Very true. Uh, so, so, so you, so everyone is buying dips all the time. And, and for me, you, I think I told you this is how I buy a dip. Okay, I'm fully invested. So, how do a fully invested person buy the dip? Well, this is how I had money originally in an S and P ETF. The yeah. S and P 500. So it's called ZSP because I'm I'm Canadian. We are Canadian, uh -huh. so we don't we don't buy US dollar ETFs. We are Canadian dollars, so I have something called ZSP. Which is BMO S and P five hundred, so S and P five hundred but in Canadian dollars. Uh -huh. So I had, so I had that. So what I did was I sell that and bought HSU, which is two times love it. <laughs> By the way, it's two, two times because Canada has there's no Canadian company that offers three times and the three times requires a one point five percent fee. But here's the thing: I, 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 I own a lot of three times and paid the fee for it, and pay for itself. But I'm controlling my leverage. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fully max, max, max long yet. I'm just max, max long two times. I, I could go max, max, max. <laughs> so that, that's, I'm still at the ability to buy a dip. If there's one more dip, I'm shifting up one more level. Oh, um, man. but, but yeah, so this is, this is how you fully invest in by a dip is that, is that you, you just go up in leverage <laughs> because there's no such thing as max until you go broke. <laughs> Sir, <laughs> Sir, you are a brave man. <laughs> All right. We, we right, guess, so I, I guess, guess we, we'll we'll end right there. Yeah.